12, verses 3 through 8. You can find that on page 803 in the Red Pew Bibles, or you can follow along with me on the screen behind. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Forward. What if? What if we played it forward to just three? Okay. Two. All right. If you're socially challenged, let's play it forward to one. To one other. And include them in a dynamic way during this particular time of the year. We've been talking about families. The family of God is the church and our families, intergenerational, crossing lines, finding ways to pull the resources and the experience and the value out of each other's lives. Experiences learn. Some of them because they're, they're positive. Some of those experiences because they're negative. But learning from each other listening to a story of an older person that is decades beyond in our, than our lives, listening to the hopes and dreams of a younger person whose eyes still have hope and there still is a future for them. In our Wednesday life group that we have on Wednesday nights here, we are doing a study of Acts. And the, the particular study this last week was called Devoted to Each Other. And we talked about lifestyle enclaves. Lifestyle enclaves. How so often we develop enclaves or we develop a kind of a, a cocoon around ourselves in those that we fellowship with that are of like mind, of like socioeconomic education, uh, values, and uh, these enclaves are wonderful for those that are inside them. And for those that are outside, devastating. Robert Bella put it this way in a book called Habits of the Heart. He said, people today invest themselves heavily in the pursuit of a certain kind of lifestyle, primarily regarding leisure activities and consumption. 
People want to be sure they have the right house and car, furniture, and other material things. They want to be sure they can take the right kind of vacations, fill their time with pleasant activities. They want a life that offers comfort, enjoyment, and security. And yet I am reminded that no one wants to pursue these things alone. We look to find others of like mind. We gather in groups of like-minded people, similar folks, and then we form our enclave. Enclave comes from a French word that simply means to enclose something or seal it off. It has no vision to benefit those on the outside, but only to benefit those that are on the inside. One of the greatest examples of enclave today, oftentimes, is the church. There are certain uh, languages and uh, uh, lifestyles and certain of our habits that seem to fit well within the church belief systems, and even wanting to be together in worship style, and yet the song we sang today was a song of repentance. Forgive us, Lord, for not worshiping you, but worshiping worship. (laughs) This enclave idea is sort of a no-solicitor idea. It's a trespassers will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law idea. You know, come in or come to be a part of my neighborhood or come into my family but under restrictions that you look and sound like me. There was a special on 2020. We saw a little clip of it. I, I was amazed by it. It was a, maybe a 10 or 15 minute segment. And it was about cat people. I don't know. Anybody see that? Oh, no, no one apparently watches that except Danny. But the, uh, it, it was about people that, that literally live their, pretty much their life around cats. And this one woman had 100 and I think she had 126 cats in her house. And uh, the house looked like there was 126 cats in it. And I'm sure if television uh, in its next generation where they bring smells into the house, uh, if you were to watch that documentary, you could smell it as well. Uh, But there was something that was fascinating about the psychology of it in some of their analysis, and that was this, that people that had kind of gathered large numbers of cats around them many times uh, in a social context uh, were lonely. Lonely. Hmm. As we think about that, we realize that there are many that are lonely in our neighborhoods, in our families. Some may be even here this morning. Lonely. And yet the passage that we read this morning that uh, Sally read for us reminds us that the body of Christ is never to be shared alone. And all of the gifts of the body are to be given to each other and to others outside of the enclave. There is no room for an exclusive group called the church. It's designed to use gifts for each other and for others. Mercy, as an example, giving would be another. 
that would touch people's lives in ways that other things could not, and they would be impacted by the very grace of the gift. In the clip that you saw, it takes more than one to make a difference, as you saw that, and as the boy started to think about the simple math, it almost sounded like a pyramid scheme, didn't it? If you'll just join this organization and you'll bring three, we'll bring three more, and three more, you'll be a millionaire. And you'll have more product in your garage than you'll ever be able to sell. But in Play Forward, it was much greater than that. It was actually giving to others that had a special need and finding them and seeking them out. And then as a gift is given, all that is said is, pass it on. Just take this gift and give to someone else. Hmm. Hmm. I think that's the core of the gospel. I think that's the good news. I think that's the message. It's been given to us, and we are simply to give it to someone else. How we would do that might be unique to our personality or our means. But certainly, we would want to be giving to others that which has been given to us. So your first fill-in is this. It's not an option to be alone. You and I were not created to be alone. We were created to be in community. Community. With unity, but together. The Romans passage, so helpful. But the fourth through the th and fifth verses say it this way. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we are many, and we form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. Well, that means you belong to me, and I belong to you. That means that what I have, or what I can do, or any grace that may be given to me, can easily be shared with you. I was reading the picture in my office, and many of you have been there, and, and uh, it's the one up on the wall that was given to me uh, as, a, as a gift from the church in 2003. But it was a time when all of our congregations gathered in here, and a picture was taken, and the place was literally packed. And, and, uh, and in the midst of that picture uh, is the gift of people, and it was the encouragement that I needed for my cancer rehabilitation. You see, the gift was you to me, and I have extended my time here for many years now through the Lord's grace because I want to give something back to you because you gave to me. And in those graces exchanged, there is a benefit that comes to all of us as we experience his grace together. And we then are community. Many churches that do core beliefs, and we do that too, and have listed their core beliefs, their core values, some left out one of the most important, or maybe the most important one of all. And that is together we are community. 
just to say your community is one thing, but in reality, if you are community, you must act community. You must actually have a heart of community. Hmm. Interesting to me that of the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with how we relate to God. And then the other six relate to how we relate to each other. It was Lee Strobel who put it this way, talking about loneliness. He said this, People today who admit any problem, drugs, divorce, alcoholism, but there's one admission that people are loath to make, whether they're a star on a television or someone who fixes television in a repair shop, it is just too embarrassing. It penetrates too deeply to the core of who we are. People don't want to admit that they are sometimes lonely. Loneliness is such a humiliating malady that it ought to have its own politically correct euphemism. Rationally, relationally, I'm sorry, relationally challenged. <laughs> or it should have its own telethon. Anything to make it safer to confess because right now it's a taboo, an affliction of losers and misfits. And to be honest, Strobel continues, and to be honest, of respectful people like you and me. Hmm. He said that in a piece that he did called God's Outrageous Claims. We're lonely from time to time. Widowers, widows, young people, lonely. There's all kinds of lonely people in the midst of the crowds. Look into the eyes, you'll see it. If you look. If you put yourself in the busiest place anywhere in our community, you'll find it. It's not always the homeless person sitting on the curb. It could be the one driving the car. It could be the merchant of the store. So it is through scripture that we understand this. And the Apostle Paul usually starts his letters with, how we relate to God vertically, but then he moves quickly to the second part, and that is how we utilize our faith to touch people horizontally. How do we do that? I think that one of our most theologically correct core values is number four, and that's the one within our core values that's on our website, and we're gonna throw it up there to take a look at it, and here's what it says. We are a mosaic of all peoples doing life together as a family in the body of Christ. Let's repeat that together. We are a mosaic of all peoples doing life together as a family in the body of Christ. Can you imagine someone right now that would just absolutely bloom, flourish, come alive, smile, sparkle, if they could be sitting next to you, if they could have your care even during this service, 
Can you imagine the impact it would have on a person's life who otherwise is alone to be in community even this morning? Can you imagine that? That's a value. The second, not a fill-in, but statement is that we are saved to a personal relationship with Christ and to community. I guess it is a fill-in, but we're saved. What? To a personal relationship with Christ, true, but that cannot be exclusive to a relationship with community. I'm not saved just for my own benefit. I am saved to be in a community of saved people to touch people outside of my enclave. We're saved by grace and faith alone, Luther said. But if we're truly saved, then we will be transformed and our lives will be changed. Romans 12, 1 and 2, a familiar passage. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies living sacrifices, that is, active people, holy and pleasing to God, your sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform to any longer to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me interpret that in the context of our, of our thought this morning. Don't be uh, uh, transformed by the, uh, simply into the pattern of the world, but let's break into the, out of the enclave into the new open space of people. And then you'll be able to test this thing that God has done for you. And you'll find it pleasing and perfect. 2 Corinthians 5.17 put it this way. When you are saved, you become therefore a, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? New creature or new creation. The old has passed away or gone. The new has come. It is a personal savior that is true. He saves every one of us one at a time. And he saves the world one at a time. But it was never meant to stay there. Titus says it this way in Titus 3.6. says, Christ, our Savior. If you listen, if you watch as you're reading the scripture, you'll find the inclusive nature of the language. In John 4.42 is an example. It says, Savior of the world. You'll find that over and over again, Paul used the form that would be the plural of our, or the possessive of our Lord within the context of many. Fifty-three times St. Paul uses the idea of our Lord, not my Lord, but our Lord. We are brothers and sisters in the family of God. When Pastor Mark preached a few weeks ago, in the context that we have gained something, we have moved into a new relationship with a new family and old things have passed away. Jesus is not only a personal savior, it's God's design for community, for you and me to live in community. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 2.9, I read it from the message, it says, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing 
do something from rejected to accepted. From loneliness to acceptance. A chosen people. The third point in your outline is this. We are... We have a vertical, we must have a vertical relationship with Christ and a horizontal one with the family of God. And we are clear, there must be a vertical one. But if you have a vertical one, there is clearly a horizontal one. We are delivered from one group to another. Everybody wants to be a part of a group. We want to look like a certain group we want to be fit in to a certain group we want to uh, live in a certain neighborhood or community we want to have values of a certain group and uh, and there's a higher calling when we think about that certain group as the body of Christ that's one where no one will be left out if they choose to enter it. No one is excluded because they didn't have a, a sponsor or they didn't have the means to uh, buy the uniform or they couldn't live in the neighborhood or they didn't go to the right school or they didn't get an advanced degree. No, no one's excluded from that neighborhood, the body of Christ if they'll simply come through Christ himself. That's how we're saved, but we're saved to community. We're saved to a, in, in a, not an exclusive group, but an inclusive group that's millions and millions strong. We're saved to be a part of something that's dynamic. We're saved to have a blood type matched with another that ordinarily would never happen. We're saved to have a stem cell transplant, if you will, with Jesus Christ so that he lives in us and we live in each other. That there's something unique about who we are. And if anybody knows us, they'll know something about God. They might know a little bit about other things too. Maybe less than holy. But they will know something about God because they know us. It flows through our veins. It's in our DNA. It can't be excluded. It's there. Exodus chapter 6 verse 7 talks about being his people. It says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. God includes us. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 20 says, But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace. Boy, that's descriptive. Out of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance as you are now. Wow! I am a part of his inheritance. Out of the furnace, the smelters, out of the, the flame of judgment and failure and eternal punishment, out of all of that into a wonderful relationship within a new group of people called the church. The children of Israel were delivered, and it's exemplary that we are delivered as well. 
Save to community. And the gifts are here for us to express that together. Our faith requires more of us. It requires us to actively use gifts. Actively use those things that God has given to us for the group and to witness to the world. Dallas Willard in Divine Conspiracy, he writes it this way. He says about the dysfunction of the church and he says it this way. He says, um, he says, there's a dysfunction, a dysfunction between faith and the life that characterizes evangelical Christianity today. He observes our barcode faith. That's kind of an interesting idea. Barcode faith. Think about that for a moment. A barcode faith approach to evangelism deals solely with the issue of sin management or the forgiveness of sins. It says nothing about the life of discipleship to which Jesus calls his followers. Do we pray the sinner's prayer so that when we die, we pass through the pearly gates and Peter passes the scanner over us? I am saved. I have the barcode. I now can pass through the line. I can get on the airplane bound for glory. I can be admitted into heaven. My card can be punched. Is that irrespectful, irrespective of our behavior or lifestyle during the period between our conversion and glory? Willard continues, Can we seriously believe that God would establish a plan for us that essentially bypasses the awesome needs of present human life and leaves human character untouched? Can we believe that the essence of Christian faith and salvation covers nothing but death and after? Of course not. That's ridiculous. The gospel is informing us about how we are to live. And we are to live in community, not in an enclave that separates us, but opening the gates. James puts it this way in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. <laughs> what good is it, James, and likely the brother of Jesus wrote this, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing, nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. It is dead. We have life groups, you know, that we're doing together, and we'll be uh, ours is finishing up uh, this Friday. We've had eight sessions together. It's been a great time. And then uh, the first of the year, we're going to start pitching it again, and we'll have another couple. And we've learned that we can come together in community. Uh, and, and it's been really uh, interesting because of the diversity of that group. There's Lindy and, 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 uh, and me, and we, we've been married 42 years. And then there's a couple there that uh, there were, let's see, one, two couples that were, have not been married yet, and then some married is, is just a few months ago and others a couple years ago. And in that time, we have really grown together. 
by sharing with one another the diversity or our mutual gifts. On Wednesday night, oh my, what a spectacular group of people. If you really want to know what the body of Christ is like, come uh, show up some Wednesday night up in my office. Uh, You'll see pretty much the odds and ends of the faith and the beauty that the mosaic, that actually it creates in the mosaic. I mean, we are the best group going. We're the funniest group, I'll tell you that for sure. I mean, we really are. We're kind of a bunch of odds and ends. And we, uh, we love to eat together. We have great fellowship. We understand each other. We love each other. And uh, we listen to one another. That's a unique idea. And uh, people's perspective counts because we're doing community. We're in a life group. We're a mosaic doing life together as a family. You have a card in your bulletin. And uh, we started this last week. And you'll note that the card says, if you're interested or to find out some more information about being a mentor or a mentee. And and this is the idea is to cross some of our generational lines, to do something intergenerational. But uh, let me expand that a little bit. There may be some other ways that we need to bridge some, uh, some ravines, cross over to a new group of people that we are normally not in contact with. Uh, Actually stretch a bit. Uh, Put ourselves uh, in a challenging way to reach out maybe beyond that which we would normally do. And uh, you may have an idea on how to do that. I suppose it might be the easiest way to start with just how we might do it within the context of our church. But I'm reminded that we have a Spanish congregation meeting right at the same time in the fellowship hall, and, and maybe there's a way that we ought to stretch forth and join arms. Or, or maybe it's our ethos group on Sunday night or the youth group on Wednesday night or the children that are here for Awanas or for Children's Church, maybe, some of those families. Some way or another where we move out of our enclave and break down some walls and choose to have a relationship on some level or another with another that we ordinarily would not walk with. I wonder what would happen. I wonder if that would please Jesus when he really reflects on that and sees us actively breaking loose and free. So if you have some ideas, jot them down. And uh, the the commitment you're making is simply this, that we'll start to think about something and and find some ways to cross some of those lines. And in so doing, we will give of ourselves to another and we will pass it on. We will actually, as a body of Christ, recognize that salvation is a community-creating event, and we're in that body that he has created. And we express ourselves with all of the gifts that he has given to you and to me. Let us pray. Lord, each of us I need to grow vertically in relationship with you. 
and horizontally my relationship with others. And place upon my heart and in our family how it is that we would take a next step. How we could create some kind of an event or a relationship that goes beyond that which we normally have. To glean from another wisdom, life perspective, support them, maybe meet some of their needs, and in so doing, be truly the mosaic of community that you desire so much. This we pray in Jesus' name.